0: So I want to ask you guys a question this morning. This morning we're starting a new series called The Gospel. And it got me thinking about how there are times where there are words that either I think I understand and I don't really, or there are things that are just so complex that I understand. So I want to ask you guys to take, take 30 seconds real quick-ish, turn to someone around you and tell them, is there something in life that you just think is either way over complicated and or that you pretend that you know what it is that you don't really know what it is ready set go all right bring it bring it back i've heard uh i heard some different whispers some laughter i heard uh taxes i think i heard um, the electoral process uh wifi anyone like that or or tv uh, for those who are big baseball fans, I never really fully understand like advanced al- analytics and things of that nature. How many are willing to just totally admit that there have been times you've been in conversations in circles with people and they're talking about something that just seems so foreign to you, but you just pretend cause you don't want to look stupid that like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or maybe you just, you don't, you don't want to take the time to tell them, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I have to say, I've been in Kokomo for almost seven years now. There, there have been a few sort of um, uh, either things that um, that are just sort of a normal, common knowledge here, or I've noticed that Kokomo is this um, city that's not that small, but y'all know each other really well. And so I don't know how many times I've sat in conversations with people where they're like, "Well, you know so and so, and you know their brother is married to their their um, you know uh, dentist and all that sort of stuff." And I'm going to be real with you guys. I've probably done this to some of you, so I'm I'm admitting my sin right now. There have definitely been times to make a conversation not super long or awkward. I've just said, yep, know exactly what you're talking about or who you're talking about. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So the word gospel is a word that I wonder if sometimes we have heard it so much, if we've been in and around church, that it loses its power its potency, or maybe we even sort of begin to to, to represent what the meaning is, that maybe we have some concepts about what it is, and that maybe there's aspects where when we begin to dig into it, we, we think it's maybe a little bit more complicated than it is. Uh, this morning as we begin, uh, I want to show you guys this video that's created by uh, this group called The Bible Project, and I can't say enough great things about The Bible Project because um, they have different Bible reading plans, they have different videos um, where they have summaries of like an entire book of uh, the Bible, They have of, of all the books of the Bible. Um, they have different topics and themes and words, and um, they are way smarter than I. And so I could have pretended like I was super, super smart and just say the things that they say in the video, uh, but they say it so much better and they do some really cool animation. So check out this video real quick about the word gospel, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more.
1: If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So, let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, beser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and Angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, Biser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger, Biser, that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Bessorah that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people, Israel, and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity, even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the evangelion. that all authority in heaven on earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul or Priscilla and Aquila traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real King of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants, because the last are first, and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed, and the homeless are welcome, because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it. But something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard.
0: All right, if the band could come forward, we're going to close up. That was pretty easy for me today. Getting. No, I, I I love that video. There's there's something interesting about breaking down some um, original words and um, and just getting some of this context. You know, I I would agree. Most of my life. The word gospel, in some ways, depending on who you talk to someone about, uh, had different meanings. For some, it just automatically meant it was, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For some, it just meant Jesus died for your sins. And uh, all of those are good, but I I love the way that it sort of uh, puts the frame of reference into this bigger piece, uh, initially beginning with this announcement of a new king or kingdom. Over the next little while, as we um, sort of make our way towards Easter, uh, in this series, The Gospel, we're going to be talking more and more about what is the gospel? What does it mean? How how, how do we better understand it uh, in in a way that is simple yet um, is full, in a way that is um, helpful, and in a way that really makes sense of the situation of the good news? And how we, as followers of Jesus, can um, lean into it and live it out and share it and spread it. This morning, I want to talk in particular about this idea of the good news beginning with this idea that God has came to be with us. Now, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, he's almost four. It counts, right? When, When they get close enough to their birthday, can we just... Is that okay, right? Um, Or I could be like, he's 64 months or whatever it is. Um, But it's been very interesting as my son Gideon has gotten older, he asks a lot of really interesting questions. Any parents just feel like freaked out sometimes by the questions, even like a very small child will ask you and you're like, I, how do I, I I had a funeral a couple weeks ago and my job's kind of unique and he's not used to seeing daddy wear a suit. And um, daddy, where are you going? Well, I have a funeral. What's that mean? well, he's like, is that a party? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to totally describe this. And so one of the things that parenthood has been teaching me is how do I try to take something that maybe is somewhat a little bit more complex, there's layers to it, and how do I break it down to a more simple form? So if you were to ask me, how would I describe the gospel in a single word? Here's what I'd say. Jesus. If you wanted me to just break down, what does the gospel mean in its smallest, compact way? If I only had one word to say to someone, it'd just be Jesus. And the reason why is just this. The the good news, the gospel, the euangelion is just simply this. The beginning of it, the genesis of it all, is the fact that the God of all the universe... Who placed the stars in the sky, who created everything, who freed his people from enslavement to Egypt and parted the Red Seas, who made dry bones come to life, loved us so much that he didn't just sit back and say, I will take care of this by doing something. He said, I'm going to become someone. I'm going to come and be in the flesh. And the beginning of understanding some of the radical love of God is just the fact that God loved us so much that He quite literally would put some skin in the game. And so if you want to know the Gospel, it simply begins by just knowing Jesus. As the video talked about, there's this announcement, and we see early on in in, in the the gospel writings, in the gospel of Luke, for example, in Luke chapter 2, it's talking about how the angel came and he said, do not be afraid, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, he is Lord. Lord. This is the angels speaking to the shepherds who would eventually go and find the baby Jesus. And but it's it's careful words. This these words that they would have heard, they would have understood. This idea that this isn't just some sort of like, oh, this is good news. You know, you got a phone call to let you know that um, your extended warranty, you have a chance to get something different. This isn't um, this isn't just sort of little good news. That this is earth shattering, eternity changing news. That this messiah who had been promised long ago to the israelite people was here that god who may felt like he was far away had came near i love the way that the the message which is is sort of a paraphrase sort of translation of the bible that puts in modern language this is this is how it how it translates the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 14 it just says this the word in the word represents jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood friends a lot of times i, I feel like we have to ask the question what is god like my son asked that qu- the sort of questions a lot where god be where he at he he listened he lived in my heart he asked all sorts of questions like that You know, the best way to understand this is that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus quite literally is the embodied flesh and blood, skin in the game, trump card, greatest gift that ever has came from God that came. That if you want to see what the God of all the universe is truly like how he operates, how he feels, how he intends to be in relationship with us, we look at Jesus. Now, that's not to say that other parts of Scripture are not important, because they are very incredibly important. They help us understand the consistency of who he is over time. Uh, It helps us understand that the God of the Old Testament is the same God that we see uh, flesh and blood in Jesus. Now, we don't have enough time to talk about the, the idea of the Trinity, that God is three in one father son holy spirit but they all interact together and see the good news of jesus is just this is that he has came to be present that he has came to be light in darkness and he reminds us that we're not alone you know there's an epidemic in the world right now that has to do with loneliness places in uh, different countries in asia in particular uh, aside from obviously the whole coronavirus and all that sort of stuff going on, uh, there's actually a nation, I can't remember which one it is right now, who has appointed a person as being sort of the head government official to deal with an epidemic of loneliness. Because there is a, a, a kind of culture that's rising up in some of these countries where people are working jobs, where they can work remotely, they have no desire to uh get married, have children, any of those things. Not saying any of those things make you more or less in, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's it's allowing for people to quite literally be dealing with uh, large amounts of loneliness. And scientifically, loneliness is not good for you. I mean, there are adverse effects on your physical health, on your mental health, and all of those sort of things. I think we all know what it's like to be alone, don't we? We've all known what it's like to be in a dark place and to be afraid. We all know what it's like to feel like there is no way out from a situation. You know, I think one of the greatest threats, one of the greatest things that the enemy, Satan, does to us is to get us to a place where we feel like we are all alone. I see it played out every once in a while uh, in the middle of the night. We very seldom sleep through the night in our house. Usually it's my youngest, Silas, who is waking up because he's hungry or, you know, decided that he didn't want to go to the bathroom during the middle of the day. Um, but every once in a while, my son Gideon will, will wake up and he'll yell for me. And what I found is more often than not, nothing's really happened. He's not waking up and he didn't throw up, thankfully. He's not waking up and it's not like his pillow fell down or... Uh you know, he's he he's fallen in between the side of the bed and, and the wall. Most of the time when he wakes up and he cries out for me, he's afraid. He wakes up, maybe he had a bad dream, but in particular he wakes up and there's this sense of I'm alone. Now how much of a good dad move would it be if I just grabbed the baby mother and be like, Hey bud, I know you're scared and alone, but you're good. I love ya. No, there's there's something uh, just intrinsically beautiful for the human soul to experience someone coming and sitting with you in the midst of your fear, of your stress, of your worry. You know, I found when people are grieving, most of the time, do you know what they don't need to hear? They don't need to hear, God just needed another angel up in heaven with them. They don't need to hear, God's going to use this in a certain way. Most of the time when people are grieving, do you know what they need? They need someone who is just willing to sit in the midst of their brokenness with them. And yes, to remind them of hope. Yes, remind them of the larger picture. But most of the time, they just need someone to sit there so they're not alone. You see, I believe in many ways, presence is the most powerful way to show love. And we see this in relationships. You know, I mentioned with my son, but can, can you imagine if, uh, if I decided for like a year just to sort of like leave my family? And to, um, you know, I, what, what if I called or wrote letters every day to my wife? There's no real reason why I've left. But, you know, what, what if I just told her often, hey, babe, I love you so much. You're the best. I can't really come close right now. can't be near you. What if I told her only through my words that I loved her and I never was actually, like, present in relationship with her? You'd probably say, Aaron, you're not that great of a husband. It's If you knew Hunter, you'd probably, like, tell her, like, hey, this guy's a chump. Like, kick him to the curve. Because there'd be this question of, like, well, shouldn't love, in some ways, if it's possible to incorporate some sort of presence? And so the gospel... At its core, in some ways, is this, is that the God of all the universe chose to become present with us. And we're going to get more into the bad news later, which is just this. We are all sinful creatures who are hopeless on our own. And that's an important way to understand the good news. But in in my personal opinion, I, I I like to start with the good part. And that's just this, is that God came near. Now, it's important sometimes to understand the bad so you can understand the good. There's this guy who wrote this book called Reunion named Bruxy. And he says sometimes sometimes you don't understand good news until you realize bad news. It's sort of like if, if a doctor gave you, uh, uh, if you went to a doctor's appointment and they said, hey, we're really excited to let you know that you're cancer-free, but you never know that you had even a chance that you had cancer That that kind of puts some of the good news in a different perspective, right? Because your your mind starts to go with, "Wait, wait a second, was I ever in danger to begin with? That's the bad news. The bad news is on your own, you don't stand a chance. That left to your own devices, you continue to really build walls, a prison for your own self in which you're going to feel hopeless, you're going to feel worried, stressed, and unfulfilled. The good news is that the God of all the universe came near. And he's came to break down those walls. He's came to bring a light into the dark place and let you know that you're not alone. Now, I want to read this scripture from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. And here's what's happening. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus lives this life, basically, from, from the time he's born until he's 30, of relative obscurity. He doesn't come from a uh, wealthy um, family with all this like privilege. He doesn't really really come from this family where people would be like, "Yes." He comes from a town that is not one where people are going to be like, "That's the town that makes kings." He comes from very meager beginnings, and he is a carpenter by trade because of his, his father, his earthly father, Joseph, but he also becomes a rabbi. Now, a rabbi is just a teacher. In a Jewish culture, a, a rabbi would be a person who, who would study the Old Testament that we have today in, in so many ways, and what would happen is they would go on their Sabbath, which was, is still Saturday, and they would go to the synagogue In in a normal part, that's part of the reason that we um, still today gather and we read the Word and we have a pastor or person unpack it, is that a rabbi would be this teacher who they would have their turn to open up sort of one of the scrolls, one of the the books of the Old Testament, and they would read it aloud and then they would sort of give their interpretation of it. And so there were kind of um, rabbis kind of today, like there are, you know, I hate to say popular preachers or whatever, or, or lines of thinking but that's what would happen. And so this story uh, comes from early in Jesus' ministry. He has come back to his hometown. It is He's at the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he gets the chance to read. And so let's, let's read the scripture, and I'm going to break it down a little bit for you and talk about why it's important, why we're even talking about it this morning. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is right after he's been baptized, right after he's went through the temptations. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom, and he stood up to read. Now, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and everyone in the synagogue, their eyes were fastened to him. Then he began to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this would have been sort of a they didn't have mics then, so this would have been a scroll drop back in the day. So it's interesting, right? So he 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 doesn't pick out this scroll. This is just handed uh to him to read from. Now the book of Isaiah is a uh is a book of prophecy. Now now scripture, the the, the Bible that we have today really is a, a library of books. And, and there's different types of literature in there. Some are more narrative, some are kind of historical record, and some are what we call prophecy. And God uh, in the Old Testament times would speak through these people called the prophets. And they weren't just people who, like when we think of prophecy, we picture like someone with a cool hat and a crystal ball being like, let me tell you that you are going to have a great fourth quarter, uh, or uh, that, that, that that freckle really isn't skin cancer. Um, and we think of those being just all these predictions, but a Uh prophet was a person who truly was just a spokesperson for God, that since God wasn't physically here on earth, as we later find in Jesus, that he would use different men and women to speak about something that was happening, some message that he wanted them to hear. And the prophet Isaiah, in particular, is used during a a time that's not great in the history of the Israelites. Uh, But one of the things that Isaiah, in particular, talks a lot about is this idea of a messiah, now a Messiah was, uh, this, this, this person who was, who was foretold, who was predicted to come and someday be sort of the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That would set up a reign that would last forever. And so Jesus, when he picks this particular prophecy section of scripture to read and then proclaim that this has been fulfilled today, essentially what Jesus is doing is he is saying the Messiah this king who would bring this new kingdom that you have been waiting for centuries to come. I am he. Now this is radical. I mean, this would be, I, I, some of you still live in your hometown, but that would be like me who was not relatively popular or smart or, or good looking growing up. I know that's so surprising today with my six foot five stature um, and, and chiseled jawline. You can't see underneath my beard, but that would be like me going back to my hometown and just coming back and being like, listen, guys, I want you to know all our hopes and dreams have arrived. It's me. Except for Jesus, it's not a joke. It's not some sort of prideful thing. It's truly who He is and what He was called to be. You see, when He comes and He says this, He's trying to let them know that there is good news. That there's an announcement. That there is a new king. Now, what's crazy and interesting, and, and, and there's a lot of dynamics, we'll talk about that during this series, is just this, is that he's not exactly what the people were hoping for. You see, the Israelite people had gone through lots of different uh, times of being in good standing, having their own kingdoms, to then getting into this place. At this moment, they are actually uh, uh, kind of under the rule of Roman authority, and the, the Romans are just, they're powerful, they're merciless. And so the Israelites, all of their hopes and dreams was that the Messiah, yes, He would come near and He'd be flesh and blood, but they weren't necessarily hoping that He would, you know, proclaim good news to the poor or, uh, recovery of sight for the blind or things like that or set the oppressed free. They were hoping, yes, we're going to go from being the oppressed to get to be the oppressors. We're going to be in charge. And the beauty And the scandal of the gospel of Jesus Christ is just this, is that Jesus comes to say, I am flesh and blood. And though I am powerful, I have came here to become weak so you could experience my power. I've came here to choose death so you could experience life. I mentioned this guy named Bruxy before. I I love uh, what he says in his book, Reunion. He just says this, Jesus was God's messenger and yet He was more than that. Jesus was both God's messenger and God's message. That Jesus didn't just come to blow the trumpets and say, the King has arrived! He came to quite literally just live it out and say, here I am. Come, follow me. You see, you The most beautiful thing about the Gospel to me too isn't just the fact that He came near, but it's it's the context in which He came. He's a God who had every right to punish. And yet instead of punishing, He came and chose to be present. It's powerful. That's powerful when we have a God who holds all of the power, who owes us absolutely nothing and chooses to give everything he has, so we could be free. In First John, chapter four, John says this, and I think it paints this picture really well. It's in a simple way for hopefully us to fully understand. It just says this: God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into this world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Love is another one of those words that maybe sometimes we think we understand, but we don't always. And I love the way that this idea of love, this agape love, this love that is something that comes only from God, nothing that we can produce on our own. How do we see what God is? We see it. How do we see what love is? We see it through Jesus. We see it in the fact that despite our brokenness, despite our sin, despite our unfaithfulness, despite the fact that we could never deserve it, never earn it, God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to be here be the way for us show us the way and that's really really good news we don't have a king who has came here to just put us under his rule and oppress us we have a king who has came here to dethrone the things that oppress us now to kick worry off the throne of our life to kick greed, lust selfishness. He has came that we might be free. Put it in a simple way, God drew near so we could become new. And so here's the invitation of the gospel that I'll leave you with this morning, is would you draw near to the God who has came near? You don't have to understand every bit of the concept of the gospel and Jesus and atonement and sacrifice and all of those sort of things. Would you just recognize this morning that you are deeply and desperately loved? And if your question is, how can I even know that? Would you look to Jesus? Would you look to the cross? Would you look to a God who quite literally put skin in the game when all hope was lost? And would you recognize that despite your brokenness, your sin, your, your, your constant propensity to wander astray from God, that truly how he sees you is as a child, a son and a daughter, whom his greatest desire is that in the midst of your darkness, of your fear, of your brokenness, That you wouldn't just stay there, but that you would cry out. That you would acknowledge the fact that He has came near and that you would ask Him to just bring that light into your life. Friends, I promise it does not matter what you've done. There is no thing that you could ever do to make God not love you. To keep you from the kingdom. That as we talked about in the month of February, God's table is awfully long. And there will always Always be a seat at that table if you would so choose to come and sit down. This morning, I don't know your story. I don't know all your backgrounds. I don't know where you're at this morning. But my hope is that maybe you would begin this journey. Maybe this is a new journey for you. Maybe this is a journey for the first time in a long time. Maybe this is a journey that you have been on for a long period of time. That Maybe during this season you're asking God, God, would you help give me a fresh, perspective, a fresh anointing of your love, would you help me understand the gospel in a new and refreshing way? And would it start surely with just this, God? Would I choose to be in your presence because you love me so much to become present? Would you guys stand? And uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song. Pray with me, please. Father God, I I thank You for the fact that we don't have to wonder if You love us because You've shown us how You love us. God, we don't have to wonder what You're like. That God, we can look at Your Son Jesus, at His life and His teaching, and God, we can see that You are compassionate, that You're gracious, that You're merciful. That you deeply believe in truth. Because you are the truth. God, this morning, I pray that maybe there is someone in this room, God. God, maybe they needed to hear this message this morning. That they needed to know that even if it feels like they feel like their life is hopeless, that they can find hope in you. That maybe if they feel like they are alone would they sense the presence of your Holy Spirit in this moment, reminding them that they are not? And God, I pray that we could have bravery and courage, God, to admit if there is brokenness, sin, if we've strayed away from you. God, this morning as we sing, would this be an opportunity for us, no matter how near or far we are from you. Father God, just experience your embrace. Experience your love. God, as we sing this song, would this just be a humble offering of our our love, our obedience, our sonship, our daughtership to you. And God, if there's something you want to say to us this morning, would you open our ears and open our hearts to hear whatever that is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.